Hey there, it's Alex. Just a really quick announcement before we get started here. We were totally booked out for our Cost of Glory Rome retreat this summer, 2024, June 30th through July 7th. But we've managed to make some adjustments and we've found room for another one or two slots. So if you're interested in visiting the great sites of Rome, discussing the merits of Rome's greatest men with me, and also improving as a speaker with the insights of ancient rhetoric and a whole lot of live practice and discussion, check out the retreat website at costofglory.com retreat. Hope to see you in Rome. Okay, now for the episode. Hello and welcome to the Cost of Glory, where it is our mission to retell the lives of the great Greek and Roman heroes, This is Alex Petkus, your host. I've got a special treat for you today. I found Spartacus, the great slave revolt leader, such a compelling figure when I was working on the life of Crassus, especially episode 71. And I really liked one of the books that I read to prepare for that episode. It was by one of our great living historians of antiquity, Professor Barry Strauss. So I decided to bring him on the show and interview him to get a deeper dive on Spartacus and what we can learn from Spartacus the leader for our own lives and touch on some of the subjects that we didn't get to in the Crassus biography. In this interview, we talk about many Spartacus topics. We talk about the 1960 movie quite a bit. We discuss how Spartacus's revolt, this tragic, almost unicorn story, nearly failed before it got out of the gate. We talk about irregular warfare and Professor Strauss's insights on how this story relates to modern geopolitics, as well as many practical lessons for leaders, how to overcome short-term thinking, the power of symbols and narratives to motivate people, and also a few other historical figures that Spartacus inspired. We also review some of the basic facts of the narratives, so it's no need to go back and re-listen to prepare or anything. A bit more about Dr. Strauss. He's a best-selling author, a military and naval historian, and a consultant. And he's the Beaumar Endowed Professor in Humanistic Studies at Cornell University, and also a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution. Barry Strauss is also the author of The Spartacus War, 2009, which I highly recommend if you want to go deeper into Spartacus. There's a link in the show notes. And more recently, he's written a book on Antony, Cleopatra, and Octavian, It's called The War That Made the Roman Empire, 2022, and I do look forward to reading that for my series coming soon enough on the life of Mark Antony. Okay, now for the interview with Dr. Barry Strauss. Dr. Barry Strauss, welcome to the Cost of Glory. We're really glad to have you. Uh, Thanks for being here. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. But I thought we could jump right in. Um, it's been a while since you wrote the Spartacus book, uh, right. and it's really had an impact. I think uh, one of your more popular books, uh, with good reason. Uh, it's a great book on a great figure. And I thought we could start by um, me just asking you, what inspired you to write a book about Spartacus in particular? Why is he famous, and why should we care, and why did you care? <laughs> I would say two things. First. Honestly, Hollywood, um, the fact that I had seen the Spartacus movie long, long ago, and it stuck with me. And I wondered, well, what's the real story? 
Uh, and secondly, 9-11, um, the fact that unconventional and irregular warfare uh, was so much on our radar screens after 9-11. This wasn't the first book I wrote after 9-11, uh, but uh, I wrote a book about the Trojan War, and I looked at the irregular aspects of it. And then I thought, well, you know, the Spartacus is even more irregular. Um, and what can we learn about that? I think this was also a phase in my career in which I was really falling in love with Italy. And I realized that to do this book, you really had to spend a lot of time in the Italian countryside. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem too bad. I think I can do that. So uh, that was part of the appeal as well. Uh, yes, I, I love there, there are some real uh, historical geographical sleuthing uh, in some of the chapters where, you know, the debate about where Crassus yeah. walled Spartacus off. Yes. Uh, that was fascinating. Thanks. Um, the tuna net. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. Sure. Um, and I, I definitely second that with Spartacus was one of the movies when I was in high school that really had an impact on me and uh, made me more interested in the ancient world. Um, <clears throat> so as a, as a refresher for the audience that, you know, listeners have probably listened to cost of glory series on Crassus episode one. If you haven't go do that at some point, but, um, for those who want a refresher, can, can we just set the scene? What's the historical context the the, like an overview of what's the lead up to the Spartacus revolt? Sure. Well, first of all, um, it's important to emphasize that Spartacus was a real historical character. He's not right. a fictional character. He's not invented by Hollywood. Um, and the Spartacus revolt took place in between 73 and 71 BCE. Um, this is the period of the late Roman Republic. Uh, it's a period when the Republic is often in turmoil. Um, there are uh, uh, constant uh, conflict between, on the one hand, uh, the party of the few, the so-called best men or the optimates, and the party of the many, the so-called populares, uh, the men of the people. Uh, both parties are, in fact, represented by nobles and phenomenally wealthy and elite men. They just have different uh, uh, constituencies they appeal to and different ways of seeking power. And unfortunately for Rome, um, this conflict turns violent from time to time. So that's a, a, a big problem for them. Uh, the Roman Empire has conquered most of the Mediterranean, but it's still in an expanding phase and uh, putting out fires at either end of the Mediterranean. Uh, at the time of Spartacus's rebellion, uh, the Romans are still involved in a long-term war against uh, a very dogged and dangerous enemy, King Mithridates of Pontus, a kingdom right. in what is now northern Turkey. Uh, and he royals the entire Middle East uh, uh, from uh, the 80s until the 60s when he's finally defeated. Um, by the same time, at the same time, uh, a renegade Roman general named Sertorius had been leading a rebellion in Spain. Uh, which also required Roman armies. Both of these revolts do. And finally, there are pirates uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean uh, who sometimes actually attack Italy. Uh, they're really a problem. So the Romans have to deal with all three of these fronts at around the same time. 
Um, the slave, uh, Rome is one of the major slave uh, states of history. And uh, this is kind of the swashbuckling days of Roman uh, enslavement, the Roman slave trade, slaving business. In the second and first centuries uh, BCE, the Romans are uh, going wild uh, in enslaving people right, left, and center um, and bringing them to Italy. Um, we don't really know, but a guesstimate is that there's somewhere between a million and 1.5 million slaves in Italy in this period. Wow. Maybe about 20% of the population. Again, these figures are extremely rough. Um, but uh, a huge percentage of the population is slaves. And um, the Romans are careless about these slaves because they have so many of them, so cheap. Um, um, they are abusing people so uh, enormously. Um, and they have faced with a series of major slave revolts, two of them in Sicily uh, in the late second century um, BCE, and then several also on the mainland, uh, one in the area of Campanius or around modern Naples, uh, which is also the area where Spartacus's slave revolt breaks out. There are a lot of unhappy people, but there are also a lot of slaves who have opportunity to revolt against the Romans. This is not a society that has a police force. There's no FBI. Uh, there's no carabinieri. Um, uh, it's not that difficult uh, mm. to raise a slave revolt. Another problem facing the Romans is that we talk about the cost of glory. The Romans want glory. A Roman, ambitious Roman politician wants to win military glory. And the way to do it uh, is to defeat a worthy opponent. And slaves, mm -hmm. by definition, are not a worthy opponent. You cannot win the ultimate success by defeating a slave rebellion. So there's this kind of push and pull in the economy of slave revolts, uh, making this a dangerous period for, for Roman Italy. Yeah, that's great background. And I mean, Rome is really facing... I think in a lot of ways, existential crises on either side. I mean, yeah. if, if Sertorius gets out of hand and Mithridates get out of hand, it could really, um, it could really affect the center. And uh, we've done the life of Sertorius on the cost of glory as well. Right. Another fascinating figure. He is indeed. Yeah. Uh, so you've got all these slaves in the countryside. It's a relatively new situation for the Romans and right. historical time scale. And then, um, and I think that's really important background to to think about how this is a problem that they haven't really come to terms with the the, the risks involved. Right. So it it gets spearheaded um, not just by any slaves, but by gladiators in particular. Right. Yes. What it, what is it like before we get to Spartacus? What's it like to be a gladiator in the early Roman Republic? <laughs> well. Of course, it's it's not something that you'd want to do, although oddly enough, there are some free people who voluntarily uh, decide to be gladiators, in some cases, just for the thrill of it. Which is uh, also fascinating. But it's a blood sport. By our standards, it's sick. It's like boxing, except that the participants tried to kill each other. Um, the Most of the gladiators were slaves. Many of them were enslaved former soldiers, so they knew how to fight. Um, they were trained as, uh, to their job. Um, and by the standards of Roman slavery in this period, they were well-treated. They were well-fed. 
um, and reasonably well housed, again, by the standards of how slaves were treated. Uh, they could make money. They could buy their freedom if they lived long enough and were successful. Uh, they were celebrities. Um, they were sports heroes. There were many fans. Uh, some of them were sex symbols. Uh, some of them clearly appealed to uh, to the wealthy uh, in carnal ways. Um, so it's not something you'd really want to do. But if you had to be a slave, I suppose in some sense there were worse things to do. And in some ways, gladiators were uh, in the slave elite. And Spartacus is one of these slaves, as far as we know, right, that uh, or one of these gladiators that had served in the Roman army. Yes. Which is a crucial part of his Absolutely. story. Absolutely. So if you see the movie, you get the sense that Spartacus is this primitive rebel who just kind of picks up warfare and he's a natural uh, and, you know, has the Romans on their knees. But in fact, he had been a soldier. He was in an allied unit in the Roman army. So uh, Thrace, which is roughly part of northern Greece, Bulgaria, um, maybe even part of Romania, um, the Thracians were a, mil a, a military power in antiquity, and the Romans had conquered part of Thrace, but not all of it. Spartacus seems to belong to one of these peoples who had been conquered by the Romans and are now allied with the Romans. They're providing soldiers for the Romans. And Spartacus fought in one of these units. I think he was probably an officer um, because he really knows what he's doing. And things go wrong for him. There are two stories. Uh, one is that he deserts because he can't stand the way his people are being treated by the Romans. And, and then he gets caught by the Romans. Another story is that he doesn't desert. He is captured by uh, the Romans' enemies and he expects to be ransomed by the Romans to be free. But instead, um, the Romans buy him as a slave and sell him to be a gladiator in Italy. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I I hadn't heard those stories actually. Um, no. So so he might have an axe to grind. Oh yes. In either case, he has an axe to grind. You know, his his axe is that he is you know a Thracian, uh, patriotic Thracian who's horrified at the ways people are being treated, or he. Uh, he, he was a collaborator with the Romans, if you will, uh, and is horrified at the way he's being mistreated by the people who are supposed to be his his collaborators, his allies. Yeah. Wow. So so Spartacus is a, he's a gladiator at right. the school in Capua. Yeah. And one day they I think Plutarch says something like 200 of them. They 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 start in the kitchen. They seize meat cleavers and they just hack their way out of the gladiatorial school. Right. There were going to be 200, so 200 of them, but they were caught. The plot was uncovered. And the weapons they were going to use were locked up. It's only 74 of them who were able to huh. go into the kitchen, seize these meat cleavers, cleavers and hack, literally hack their way out of the gladiatorial school. Wow. So it, it almost failed. At, it almost at that failed. Early stage. It almost yeah. failed. Yeah. And they, and they get some early successes, um, but I, I want to one of the most fascinating things for me about the story that um, that relates to one of the, my favorite chapters of your book uh, on the Thracian lady. Yes. Yeah. Um, Spartacus is uh, his consort, his queen, yeah. his, his, yes. his girlfriend. We don't, I don't yeah. think we get her name. Um, we don't but, no. Yeah. But Plutarch describes her as a priest of Dionysus. It, it seems like yeah. she has a really important role to play in the story. I think so. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, Dionysus is the national god of Thrace. And we think of Dionysus as the god of wine, which he was, but he's also the god of liberation. And he's something of a military hero, especially in the East. The Greeks believed that Dionysus had conquered Asia, quote unquote, which is roughly Southwest and Central Asia from our point of view, not East Asia. Um, and in Southern Italy, he'd also been uh, the symbol, uh, the avatar of rebellions against Rome and resistance against Rome. And Spartacus's lady is a priestess of Dionysus. And she says that she's had a vision. She had a vision. Uh, or it's not just a vision. that She says that when Spartacus uh, was sold as a slave in Rome, he's brought to Rome first, sold there to Capua, uh, that one day while he's sleeping, a snake comes and wraps its, him, the snake wraps itself around Spartacus's head. And she says this means that Spartacus is destined to do great things. And the manuscripts say, and he's either going to come to a good end or a bad end. You know, choose your Greek. I think it was surely a good end. I can't see her saying he's going to come to a bad end. Yeah. Um, but as you know, in the ancient world, there are many people, including many Romans, who want to say we have the gods on our side. I am either a god like Alexander or the son of a god like Octavian, later Augustus, the son of Julius Caesar. Or um, uh, later on, Mark Antony says that his patron god is Dionysus. Cleopatra says that she's Isis or Aphrodite. So for Spartacus's woman or his wife, Greek Gine could mean either, um, to say that he is the uh, representative Dionysus is powerful propaganda. Yeah, and um, I think it really goes to show the importance of of symbolism and religion and, and, right. and moving these masses of people. Right. Um, and and let's talk a little bit about the the people that end up kind of joining in right. because it starts off with seventy four gladiators. How do we yeah. get from there to? I think Plutarch says at some point it's like seventy thousand. Yes. So what's what's yeah. that process look like? So um, the gladiators. Um, head south from Capua. On the way out of town, uh, they encounter a, a, a merchant's um, um, trucking a caravan uh, carts that are bringing weapons to uh, another gladiatorial school, and they overpower the merchants, and they get the weapons. So now they have real weapons, not just meat cleavers. And they head to Vesuvius. Now, mm. this is uh, about 150 years before the famous eruption of 79 CE and uh, when they get to Vesuvius, uh, they make this their base. Why Vesuvius? Um, it is a very, very wealthy place. It's got volcanic soil. Uh, it's got some of the most fertile soil in Italy. In fact, all of Campania, this region near Naples, is is very, very fertile. It's one of the two breadbaskets of Italy today. Uh, and there's lots of farms to loot around Vesuvius. And they're successful in doing that, and the word gets out. And slaves start uh, uh, leaving their lands and joining them. They come up to Vesuvius to join Spartacus. Slaves, first of all, from these villas, these estates, uh, and then from the surrounding area. Again, rich agricultural region. So uh, the numbers grow. Uh, the owners of these villas are very prominent, wealthy, important people. 
Uh, some of them are Romans uh, from Rome who all just happen to have also these um, rustic getaways, um, and they demand action. And maybe this is getting the, the wealthy landowners involved are, right. is kind of a key to, to, it, to it escalating from the Roman side. Right, yeah. I, I love the way that you describe the 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 herdsmen, the the, yeah. the the shepherds in the book as you know we we might hear that and think, oh, these are some scrawny kids that are good for nothing in in, in war, but actually maybe these sorts of people were actually particularly tough right. used to sleeping outside, right. climbing mountains. Um and uh, it's just it's fascinating to think about the the manpower that they have yes. coming to them on the mountain. So from there, the praetors get involved, right? Yes, yes. What, what comes next? Rome so, sends some serious, some, a little bit of muscle, not super serious right away, but it, it gets... Well, they serious. don't have super serious muscle uh, right. because their legions are involved in the East and the West. So it's kind of a, a, a pickup squad that um, this first praetor, Glaber, I think his name is, um, puts together on his way south from Rome. And he's uh, involved, he's using uh, a defensive strategy, never something that would appeal to the Romans. He basically uh, uh, surrounds Spartacus and his men in Vesuvius. There's only one road down the mountain and Glaber blocks it off and he thinks we can starve these guys out. But he's greatly underestimated um, the rebels because uh, they uh, they make makeshift weapons, you know, sharpening stakes um, and um, firing the end to make them tougher. And they uh, they weave shields um, and also um, ropes uh, so they can repel their way down the side of Vesuvius, which they do. I like to think this happened at night, though we don't really know, or at least at dusk, uh, or maybe in the very early morning hours. Pre-dawn is a classic time for a raid. And they attack Glaber's camp and they take it, you know, um, and they destroy this, uh, this force um, and they help themselves to, to weapons. So, um, yeah, they destroy Glaber's force. Uh, and now the Romans have to send uh, additional forces under two additional praetors. Right. And, and these, these guys don't have a lot of luck either. They don't have a lot of luck. These are not experienced men, and they don't have uh, experienced troops. These are these are raw troops um, who are fighting this. This is not the A team, and so Spartacus and his uh, fellows, and you know, with every success, more slaves say, "Hey, this sounds great. I want to join this." So more slaves uh, join the uh, the campaign against uh, they join the campaign against uh, against the Romans, uh, and. Spartacus is very, the, these troops are very nimble. They use all sorts of trips, tricks, excuse me. They use all sorts of tricks and they're running circles around the Romans. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, Spartacus's tactics and the, the, the military tactics and maybe even the strategy that he uses. How does it compare against what he's seeing from the Roman side or what, what the Romans would normally expect in warfare? Well, he's, he knows that he can't really come out in legionary formation and fight the Romans head on. So he's engaging in classic irregular tactics, raids, using tricks such as, you know, abandoning one of his camps, but having uh, fires 
um, going and uh, even using scarecrows to make the Romans think that uh, he's still there, uh, coming on them when they least expect it. So, you know, he um, embarrasses one of the Roman commanders by attacking the guy when he's in the bath uh, in a villa and the guy has to run for his life. Uh, he, he escapes, but then it doesn't help. Spartacus and his men then get them in their camp and he kills the commander. His name is Cassinius. So it's just constant um, nimble, uh, irregular tactics and the Romans don't know how to handle them. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of reminds me of Sertorius in Spain yeah. kind of yes. doing a similar thing with his with right. his uh, not Roman troops, Celtiberians. Yes, very um, much so. Yeah, and, I, and that I love that trick of uh, lighting your lighting your fires as though you're in the camp, but but abandoning. Right. It. I think Eumenes of Cardia, who's the uh, the the guy that Plutarch pairs with Sertorius, does that on his campaign yeah. with Antigonus. It's classic stuff. Um, and and yeah, this is something that I think. I think it's a great lesson, you know, for for people fighting a really right. fortified incumbent. Yeah. You know, don't 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 copy their their tactics. They don't play right. on their terms. Play on your terms if you can. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, the the praetors fail to capture Spartacus, and eventually right. um, Rome sends the consuls. Mm -hmm. Both of the consuls, correct, and um, and yes. it still doesn't quite work. But but they've they've escalated to, I think, something like thirty thousand right soldiers yeah. committed at this right. point. Right, and th this is the following year. Spartacus understood early on that he was not going to win. In the end, Rome would come up with troops that would defeat him, and so he tried to convince his force, his men, we got to leave Italy. Let's go north, we'll cross the Alps, and we will go to our respective homelands. Because this force consists of Thracians, it consists of Celts, it consists of Germans, um, and um, it's hard to hold them together. But he's outvoted, and he decides to stay with his forces. Whether this is because he feels he can't make it on his own, or whether it's because he feels he's devoted to the cause in some sense, we don't know. As you know, our sources for Spartacus are pretty poor. Uh, but they go south. Uh, they go uh, all the way to uh, the, um, the heel of the Italian boot, and they spend the winter there. Uh, and they build up a real army. You know, they mm -hmm. train their men. They get real weapons. Um, they uh, trade with merchants. They've acquired luxury goods, some of which they melt down to make weapons, some of which they trade with merchants to get weapons or to get iron, uh, which they can make weapons with. They uh, get wild horses mm. uh, and have a cavalry. Um, they're ready to roll in a way that they hadn't been ready to fight before. However, they, had, they do have problems. Um, they their forces are divided in the following spring when they head north. It may be because of the ethnic divisions between Spartacus on the one hand and the, the Thracians and the other biggest group, the Celts. It may be because it's simply too hard to feed, to feed, excuse me, it may be too hard to feed 60,000 or more men in one place. So they divide their forces as they head north and they they take on these, these consular armies. Um, Spart the, the Celts are defeated, uh, led by a man named Crixus. Uh, they are defeated, but Spartacus and his men mm. win 
victory after victory uh, against the Romans. And it looks like they're mostly fighting in the Apennines, rugged mountain country, which is um, going to suit Spartacus better than it's going to to, uh, suit the Romans who would rather be fighting on more level ground. So when they're in the Apennines, it's just a, a thought that occurred to me. Yeah. Are Is there a chance, because this is the territory of Rome's greatest Italian enemy, the Samnites, right. more or less. Do, do right. we have any suggestion that any of the people like that hated Rome for centuries were joining in? Yes, in scale? great question. Um, in scale, that I don't know. But it, it's definitely clear that there are some free Italians who joined this rebellion uh, as a way of getting revenge on Rome. Wow. Um, they're unhappy with Roman domination. I think it's mostly a slave army, an army of, uh, you know, runaway slaves, but there are some free Italians who join. We do know that. So their plan is to get out of Italy. Yeah. And um, I think when you think about the, the difficulty of, supplying an army of that size, it, it kind of does make sense that they would split up for, for yeah. logistical reasons. Yeah. I think that the, the movie kind of brings this out where a lot of times armies have women and right. non-competence yeah. Yeah. In, in tow. Um, that's very common, right? Yes. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it not necessarily a, a sign of, uh, of, of internal division that they, that they would have split up. Not necessarily, but we do know there is internal division. Right. We also know that there are definitely women uh, and children in this army because it's documented. Right, right. So th- what are some of the challenges that Spartacus faces as a leader? Um, we, we talk about uniting the army. Um, and, and how does he deal? Like, what are some of the personal qualities that, um, that help him to overcome uh, the particular challenges of facing, of, of his strategic mandate as the general of this army? Yeah, well, uh, great question. I mean, one challenge is uniting this very disparate group uh, in which, as I said, there seem to be three main ethnic groups, but there may be others, Thracians, Celts, and Germans. And Celts and Germans and Thracian, all of these terms are misnomers. We're talking about tribal societies with different tribes who don't necessarily like each other, even though we put them under Uh, these three main rubrics, and there may well be people uh, from other groups as as well. Um, So that's the first challenge. Secondly, you have to teach them to fight. Some of them were gladiators, some of them were professional soldiers, but some of them, probably most of them weren't. And so they had to be drilled and they had to be taught some basic discipline. Um, They're going to have a hard time fighting against a veteran Roman army. Uh, luckily for them, they're not, not at first. Uh, you got to feed them. Um, and then you got to get them all on the, on the same page as to what their strategic goal is. Spartacus wants to leave Italy, but um, large numbers of the people with him don't want to leave Italy. They say, this is the wealthiest place in the Mediterranean world. Um, this is where the loot is. Why should we leave? We can just loot this place. Plus, they hate the Romans. They want to get revenge. Um, and uh, it looks like the coast is clear to do just that. We, kn- we know that when they get to northern Italy, when they get to Mutina, modern Modena, um, in uh, 72, they turn back. They decide 
not to cross the Alps. Perhaps they're also, um, you know, overwhelmed by the challenge of these towering mountains. If you look at the the Alps from the plain of Northern Italy and you look up at them, you think, holy, I'm going to get over that. Um, So that could be a factor as well. But they turn back to Southern Italy, even though Spartacus didn't want to. That's fascinating. And I I think that this points to another leadership challenge that um, I think you might talk about in your book where, so you've got all of these men who are, um, who are slaves, right? And they are not accustomed to allowing themselves to have hopes and dreams in in a serious way. And, and I think that that, that mindset can really, you, you need to have that sense of hope and fantasy and imagination to, right. to kind of right. get your mind thinking long term about yes. what's the bigger what's the bigger game here. Yes. And I could see I could see a tension there, and that's also kind of a general strategic objective, you know, because politics, you know, war is an extension of politics. Like, yes. what is what is the ultimate goal here that Spartacus is probably thinking about? Well are we really going to be able to craft a new life for ourselves as, as bandits in Italy? Why don't we try to get out of this place? Um, and yet you could see, you could see other sort of short, maybe shorter term thinking, pushing back against that and and keeping them in place. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a really good point. You know, um, it's, it's hard to get them to agree on a strategy, particularly those who'd never been soldiers. Um, they, um, those short-term gains look pretty good. So yeah, why give up? Yeah, and they get, you get the wealth of the Mediterranean flowing into Italy and yeah. rich farmhouses. Yeah. And, and Spartacus, you know, he had certain other leadership skills. We've already talked about his ability to project himself as someone who has the favor of the gods, right. um, to have a divine aura about him. Um, he also is clearly someone who, on a certain level, is unselfish. Uh, it's very cl- clear the sources state that he divided the booty equally. Um, he also could keep his eyes on the prize. He would insist that people not keep luxury goods, um, but golden and uh, silver, but they would sell them or melt them down to, to, make, to make weapons. Um, he, I think he leads by example. It's a classic case of somebody uh, leading by example. And finally, let's not forget the fact that he was a gladiator. Um, he's a big, strong guy. Uh, and right. gladiators in general, I think people are impressed by them. Yeah, and, and the, the, the Romans in particular are, I think you, you got to imagine that they also have this combination of admiration and terror right. yeah. in the gladiators that you see in a lot of the sources. Right. And he's um, a, he's not just any gladiator, he's a Mermolo, so he's a he's a heavyweight gladiator. He's a linebacker. And you know, yeah. you don't want to mess with this guy. Yeah. So. It's I think Cicero says something in a letter like, when have you ever heard seen a gladiator uh you know when he's demanded to offer his neck for the killing blow when have you ever seen them you know shrink from it you know these these are people that the romans are are accustomed to seeing you know, standing right. up bravely to death yeah on a daily basis um and uh, that's got to have an effect on on the followers as well sure. definitely definitely yeah so they get they get um one of the divisions of the army gets 
um, defeated by a Roman consul. They, right. they divided up. I think yeah. it's maybe yeah. the Germans were mm. off doing something else for some reason. And and yet Spartacus does manage to defeat, I, I believe, both consuls in yes. battle. Yeah. yeah. And then they turn back. Um, and at that, that's the point. Is it right when when Crassus gets involved? Yes. So uh, Crassus, as you know, uh, um, reputed to be the wealthiest man in Rome, very very ambitious. He wants the Senate to give him an extraordinary command. They don't want to do it, but they're stuck. Um, and he builds an army. It looks like uh, we have to read between the line and the sources that he recruits the 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 veterans who had fought for Sulla in the uh, civil war as Crassus had done. Um, and he also has his own clients in Southern Italy. Um, so he builds an army. Um, there's still problems with the army. Uh, in fact, um, as he is preparing to attack Spartacus, some of the men uh, get in a skirmish with Spartacus and de defeated against his orders. So Crassus enforces discipline by engaging in that old Roman practice of decimatio, decimation. Every 10th man in the unit is killed. It's something that the Romans haven't used in a long time. But it makes the point that this will be a disciplined army. And a disciplined army, indeed, it is. Um, and now uh, they, um, they squeeze Spartacus into the toe of the Italian boot all the way in the um, southwestern extremity of the Italian peninsula. And Spartacus realizes, uh, after, after another engagement with Crassus' army, he realizes we can't defeat these people. This is a real army. This is something we haven't seen before. Right. I think, and just to pause there, this the, Crassus getting involved is such a fascinating story because, um, you know, when, when you were talking earlier about the way to win glory at Rome yeah. being defeating a worthy foe, slaves by definition, not a worthy foe. I mean, it kind of makes me think of Crassus as like, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever saw that movie, uh, a, a Most Difficult Year, but I mean, this this classic idea of like, who is it that controls the garbage disposal in Naples? <laughs> it's probably the mafia. <laughs> like right. the, the men who are really just interested in power. I think Crassus is maybe, I mean, he does want glory, but he's also just, he's such a, a adept wielder of power. You know, I imagine him as kind of like, I'll be the garbage man if that's going to put me in charge of Rome. And uh, he, this is kind of a dirty job. He's it is. And as you know, Crassus comes up with an ingenious way to try to maximize the glory out of this in spite of it being a slave revolt. Yes, yes, yes. And he, he gets the... You're referring to the the extraordinary command that he gets, and no. Uh, um, do you want me to give away the end of the story? <laughs> well, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Yeah. Um, uh, now I'm excited. So, uh, so okay, we're in the toe of Italy. Yes. Crassus is the garbage man. He's he's yes. got his troops in order. Cato yes. the younger was a was a soldier there, and yes. he he complained in his youth yes. about. Yes. Oh, there, there was no discipline and, and Crassus brings the discipline. And now, now they've got a real problem, Spartacus and his right. friends. Um, yeah. uh, so, so what do they do next once Crassus? So the plan is to, to escape to Sicily and hide out in the mountains there, or maybe escape further from there. And they contract with a group of pirates to take them across the uh, Strait of Messina to get to Sicily. 
uh, and they pay the pirates and the pirates say, yeah, thanks. We're go- we're gone. <laughs> we're not messing with Rome. So they leave them high and dry. It's winter, beginning of 73. Um, and it's stormy to cross the Strait of Messina. They build rafts. Not an easy thing to do because the Romans have um, blocked off the areas where there's wood. But they do what they can to build rafts. And here the sources are very, very lacking They're very messed up. But as far as we can tell from reconstructing the sources, uh, it doesn't work. It's too stormy. The rafts founder, uh, people drown. They have to give up the plan of going to Sicily. So instead, they're going to want to fight their way back through the mountains, maybe now get to the Ionian Sea and, uh, you know, steal some ships there and try to escape that way. They're getting desperate. Yeah. Um, And this is when Crassus um, blocks off part of the peninsula. Italy is about 35 miles wide of this area. He, um, the sources say he gets his men, uh, his idle men to build a wall blocking off the whole peninsula. I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, when I visited this area, I could see that a lot of it was marked by very deep gorges and you wouldn't have to worry about Spartacus getting his army over these very deep gorges. But there's probably got carts and animals, and it's just not the sort of thing you can just put a whole, your whole army through right. you know, yeah. Black Diamond territory. Exactly. So um, Black Diamond territory, indeed. So um, Crassus walls off the parts that need to be walled off. Um, but on uh, in a winter storm in um, uh, winter of 73, um, Spartacus breaks through. You know, Crassus's men... Um, aren't keeping uh, aren't keeping guard. They don't think there's anything to worry about. But Spartacus breaks through, and large parts of his army, if not all of it, manage to escape and to head back towards Campania. Yeah, and uh, they, <clears throat> I think they 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 heap up just junk in the ditch and yes. somebody's yes. Say, the corpses yeah. of the dead corpses, and yes, Cokes. carcasses of animals. And I think, is this the point? There's some point where Spartacus even crucifies a Roman prisoner. Spartacus crucifies as a Roman prisoner, and he does it as much as a message to his own men rather than to the Romans to say, this is what's awaiting you guys. You know, fight as if your lives depend on it because they do. You know, fight like demons uh, to get out of this. Spartacus was a great showman. You know, that's one of the reasons for his success. Uh, Hollywood made the right choice in choosing Spartacus as a theme because um, uh, he was an uh, an impresario. Yeah, I think that that scene really shows it. That's one of the many. Yes, that it really shows it. Yes. Um, so, so how does Crassus eventually um, defeat Spartacus? Okay, so uh, first Spartacus wants to head towards uh, Brundisium, I think, or. Uh, Barry, uh, a port on the Ionian Sea to escape. But uh, the Roman army of the east that had been fighting Mithridates comes back at this point. They've been called in as reinforcements. And Spartacus realizes we can't possibly go there. That's too dangerous. And so they try to head back north. Um, and um, p- perhaps against Spartacus's uh, own wishes, his men force him to fight a conventional battle against uh against Crassus. And Plutarch and, says here, doesn't he, that um, that 
it, in a way, it was their success that made them that proved their downfall. Some, I mean, he likes to do these kind of right. moral yeah. lessons here, but yeah. uh, for some reason, they get overconfident. And uh, I'll let you continue. So they sure they get forced into a conflict. They agree to fight the kind of battle that they knew they shouldn't fight. You know, a conventional yeah. battle. Um, Spartacus, as always, um, has a plan. The first thing he does is that he sacrifice, he slaughters his own horse in front of the army. Um, the horses are sacred to Thracians. It's a, it's, a, it's a Thracian religious thing, but also it's to say to his men, I have no way to escape. It's all or nothing. And realizing that he can't win by conventional tactics, instead he forms a commando squad to target Crassus. And he thinks if we can cut off the head of the snake, we can defeat the Roman legions. It's probably the best plan that he's got at wow. this point, but it fails. Um, they get him close to Crassus. The Romans are worried from what the sources say, but they do manage to kill them and they kill Spartacus himself. So unlike uh, the Hollywood movie, Spartacus does not survive the battle. He's killed and his body is never found. You know, that makes him more of a legendary figure. Uh, do his own men protect the body? Do they save the body from the Romans? Or is it impossible to find the body um, in the chaos of a battlefield? It's, it's a total defeat for Spartacus's, Spartacus's army. And there are survivors. And um, there are three groups of survivors. One group escapes and heads north. Another group escapes and heads south. And the third group um, is uh, captured by the Romans. Yeah, and um, and we know what happened to them uh, yes. from the movie and yes. uh, from, yeah. from what they knew was coming. Right, uh, right. And uh, let me just point out that it's very expensive uh, to put up six thousand crosses. Um, wow, wood's expensive. Um, yes, and only a man who is really wealthy like Crassus could have done this. It's also expensive because. I don't know. He may have to pay compensation to the slave owners. Um, you know, he's killing these slaves. I don't know that he had to do that, but um, this is a gesture of wealth that only a wealthy person could do, you know, lining the road with 6,000 corpses. And it's Crassus's way of saying, okay, I know I can't have a triumph, but vote for me. Do you see what I've done? That would have been a really well-traveled road, right? Between Capua yes. and Rome. Yes, yes. This is a, it's, you know, the main highway. Main corridor, yeah. yeah. God, yeah. they must have been up there for a long time. Yeah. He's laying the groundwork for his campaign as a consul, right. to, to become a yes. consul. And, yes, uh, he is. And launching his career. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. The, the message to the Romans uh, right. that so many of them had farms down there, right. villas, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. so much commerce. It just would have been on everybody's lips um, for that whole duration. Yeah. And I hadn't realized the thing about Thracian horses being sacred. That's yeah. really interesting too. Yeah. So um, so that was the gl glorious, maybe, end of Spartacus. Yes. Um, I, think, I think the movie brings out this fact that um, – all along, they were um, they were faced with the choice of either fight for the ultimate win, which would be escape, uh, keep keep your freedom, or 
if you don't win, then why is it worth living anymore as as a as a slave? I, I think that that psychology has to have been sure has to have been active, and I think Plutarch brings this out with when he talks about how uh, in one of the battles, all ten thousand of the the maybe it was the Germans, all ten thousand of one of Spartacus's right. units, yes. Died in their spot without turning yeah. back. Only only two had wounds in the back. Yeah, um, goes to show the 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 extreme uh, commitment that they had to to fighting. Yes, it does, and you know it's 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 ironic that although Spartacus has mostly appealed to um, socialists and and Marxists and communists in modern times, um, he's also appealed to uh, freedom lovers on the right, including Ronald Reagan who thought huh. uh, that Spartacus was a symbol of the desire for freedom and people willing to make sacrifices uh, in order to be free. And I think you can look at it. Both sides have a claim to, to, to Spartacus. Yeah. Reagan, certainly a Hollywood man himself. Yeah. yeah definitely. Well, and you know, he has had such a legacy uh, on the left. I wrote a piece about this right. and, you know, yeah. you see, um, Toussaint Louverture, the, right, the yeah. Haitian yes. um, slave revolt leader, the figure of Haitian independence around the time yeah. of Napoleon. They, he, he really invited this comparison to himself as the black Spartacus. Right, yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, Fidel Castro uh, quoted, uh, made a reference to him in a letter from a, his prison cell. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think um, thinking about his legacy is just one of the most interesting parts of Spartacus. So, but who would you compare Spartacus to? Maybe there's there's a kind of a pantheon of great leaders in world history and in antiquity. Does does Spartacus meaningfully size up to any other figures from from antiquity or, or modernity? I mean, maybe Louverture would be a place to go, but who who would you pick? Well, yeah, Toussaint Louverture is, is certainly um, someone who would come to mind in terms of Spartacus, but. Uh... You know, that's a great question. I think that um, it's really interesting the people who have identified with uh, Spartacus. On the one hand, Garibaldi in Italy, I definitely identify with Spartacus. Um, mm. um, and so did uh, uh, Jabotinsky, uh, the uh, revisionist Zionist leader who uh, so it, so there's a famous novel about Spartacus written in Italy in the 19th century. Garibaldi wrote a preface. Uh, Jabotinsky translated it into Hebrew. Um, wow. They both uh, admired Spartacus uh, so much as a, uh, a fighter against tyranny, a fighter for, fighter for freedom. Um, you know, Amazing. Well, his his story lives on in, uh, in in the movies and in great books like your yeah. own. Uh, whenever people ask me about um, what book to read about Spartacus, and I recommended it in, in the podcast as well, I, I point them to The Spartacus War by Barry Strauss. I, I think you. it's just Thank such a, um, a great and comprehensive, and it gives you a, a, a view of, of the, all the context of what it was like to be a gladiator, what the Thracians were like, the... Hmm. the Dionysus and, and the kind of the broader context. So it's a kind of a history lesson all, all on its own, not just about Spartacus. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Uh, Barry, and um, and hopefully we'll have you back sometime soon. You, you have a, a new book out relatively recently on uh, the Battle of Actium. Yes. Antony and, and Cleopatra. Right. And 
currently I'm, I'm doing a series of, uh, called it visions of Caesar of all the biographies around mm-hmm. the fall of the Roman Republic. And so we're going to end with Antony and Augustus. So, you know, maybe we'll circle back around not too distant future. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure.